This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. To 1 John chapter 5, Hebrews, James, 1st, 2nd Peter, 1 John chapter 5. This is where we were this morning. Uh, reading from verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Whoever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. And then I'll just read one verse here in Hebrews 9. You don't need to turn to this. Verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now, this is the last in this series speaking about the blood of Christ. And this morning, uh, we begin to look at the correlation between the blood of Christ and the eternal spirit of God, and how that these two in tandem work together, and how that the blood of Christ, in a sense, was dependent upon the spirit of God. Christ, who offered himself through the eternal spirit, he offered his blood through the eternal spirit unto God. And we said how that the eternal spirit, which is a very unusual term, in fact, as far as I know, it's the only place in the Bible where that term is used. And so the eternal spirit gave efficacy, uh, gave the, the power to do that which was intended to do regarding the blood and gave potency and power and an everlastingness, if I can use that term, uh, uh, to the blood of Christ so that the blood after 2,000 years still avails for us today. It's still as powerful and as potent as it ever has been. So basis, the, the thrust of the message this morning, the basis of the message, could we say, was the dependency the blood had upon the Spirit. Tonight, I want to turn that around and look at the other side of the coin and see the dependency of the Spirit to the blood. Now, these two, as I keep saying, work very closely together. Each on their own are powerful, but together they are mighty powerful. And 
they do tremendous things for us. Uh, not only in this life, but throughout all eternity, the working together of the blood and of the Spirit is absolutely wonderful. Now, looking now at the dependency of the blood had upon the Spirit and the Spirit had upon the blood. The Spirit, first of all, was not outpoured until the blood was poured out. Let me repeat that. The Spirit was not outpoured until the blood was poured out. <coughs> Calvary preceded Pentecost. There never would have been a Pentecost in the sense that we know Pentecost until Jesus went to Calvary. And we saw this foreshadowed in the Old Testament. For instance, in the tabernacle in the wilderness, we talked about the high priest who went in there once a year into the most holy place to sprinkle blood upon the mercy seat, upon the Ark of the Covenant with that golden lid, the mercy seat, with the two cherubims who were on it looking down upon that. And only he, only once a year, could go in there. But before he could go in there, because in there was symbolic with those two cherubim, was that's where the Shekinah glory of God was. And the Shekinah glory of the God was very symbolic of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in the midst of the camp, right in there. And it was only the high priest once a year could go in there where the presence of a holy God was, where the holy glow of God was, if I could put it that way. But before he could even do that, he had to go first of all to the brazen altar, which was the first piece of furniture, if I could use that term, in the precincts of the whole tabernacle. There were several pieces. But the brazen altar was the very first one. That's where the animals were slain. That's where the blood was shed. And so he had to go slay an animal. Blood had to be shed to atone for his own sins before he could go into where the presence of God was. So that's a type. That's a, a kind, a picture of what it was going to be in the New Testament. Before the Holy Spirit came and was outpoured, then Christ had to pour out his blood at Calvary first. So Calvary had to precede Pentecost. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit to all those who have received him, first of all, as Savior. We'll have to receive him as Savior first. We'll have to acknowledge his death on the cross. We have to accept that for our sins. And only then afterwards, then, can we receive this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit. And so he could not pour out the Spirit, until he had first poured out his blood. Calvary before Pentecost. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, again we see this uh, implied. In John's Gospel, chapter 1. Reading from verse, this is regarding Christ's baptism. So reading from verse 24. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is prepare, 
preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now anybody standing there would know what the Lamb of God was for. Their minds would immediately look back to the Passover, look back to the tabernacle with the priest, the high priest once a year. So that would immediately click in their minds. They knew that a lamb was something that had to be slain and blood had to be shed. So he said, I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and I have seen and I have testified that this is the Son of God. Notice there the two things. John speaks of him as the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world as the Lamb of God that would have to die and shed his blood, but also as the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. But notice the, the order. First of all, as the Lamb of God, then as the baptizer. In throughout the Scriptures, for instance, the, the, the Joel the prophet and his great prophecy about how the Holy Spirit would be poured out in the last days and would come with great, a great outpouring. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the Holy Spirit had to wait until this prophecy was fulfilled through the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, now hold on a minute, David. Surely the Holy Spirit uh, was active in the Old Testament. Yes, he certainly was. The Holy Spirit came upon men at certain times. Not everybody, but he came upon men and women at certain times and, and caused them to be able to do some great things. But it was here and there. It wasn't everybody. But the promise is that the Holy Spirit would come and particularly every believer could receive the Holy Spirit. There would be an outpouring. But something had to happen before that. Jesus had to go to the cross, and he had to die. Now, in John 14 and in John 16, and we're very familiar with these scriptures, but Jesus is hinting. He's saying what was going to happen. As we said even this morning, he was preparing his disciples for when he would go away, when he would die on the cross, when he would be resurrected, when he ascended, when he would go away. Uh, and he was telling this. Okay, it was maybe kind of coded, but he was telling them, but they just simply weren't getting it. They were so intent on this kingdom coming right now. They, they were so intent on Jesus, the Messiah, ushering in the golden age of Israel again. And that they would sit on 12 thrones, even arguing among themselves who would be the greatest. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we don't need to go into that, but you understand that's, that's how they were thinking. But in John 14, 
Jesus here is speaking. And let me just break into this. In verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And in verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the word gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So in John 14, Jesus is giving them clues. He's hinting. He's trying to tell them. He's trying to instruct them, knowing that they're still not really getting it. But then when you go into chapter 16, again, he does this again. Verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Verse 12, I have still many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is of what is mine and declare it unto you. And so Jesus is very clearly trying to instill into them Two things are going to happen. First of all, I have to go away. Now, he's, he has told them and will yet tell them that he's going to die, that he's going to be slain. Not in their reckoning. He was the Messiah. How could the Messiah die? He had come to relieve them of this pagan occupation. So you can understand in the natural, they just were not getting that. But he told them. Second thing he says it is necessary after that for me to go so that I can send the Holy Spirit. If I don't go, the Holy Spirit will not come. So again, we see the Holy Spirit having to wait, having to wait until the blood was shed before he could be outpoured. Are you understanding what I'm saying tonight? Are you getting it so far? Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. If you want to turn to that, please. We're very familiar with the day of Pentecost and how the Holy Spirit came and the tongues of fire and so forth and so on. But then Peter begins to stand up and to preach. Notice what he says. Let me break in at verse 32 of Acts 2. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Now, this is his first sermon. He's got a big crowd. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's absolutely pumped up for this. I mean, he's just busting to tell them this message, and it begins to flow out of it. By the way, if you read his whole message, it is absolutely just full of Scripture. 
I know sometimes in your mind, when I get up here and I start to go over a lot of scriptures, you're thinking, well, there's a lot of scriptures today. I've got to turn a lot of pages. Well, you wouldn't like Peter preaching because his first sermon, that's it. it was just all scripture. But he had to do it. Now Jesus spoke in parables and Paul told stories and from time to time I got to tell stories too. But on this occasion, he had to teach the scriptures. It had to come forth. It had to strike the heart. And so here he is. He's preaching. He's absolutely on fire with this message. And so he says, This Jesus God raised up, of which we are witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you, to your children, to all who are far off, that was us, and as many as the Lord our God will call. Notice the order. Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So the first order is to understand, accept, receive that Christ has shed his blood for you. Once you do that and accept that and receive that and are saved and born again, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice the order. Peter is very, very clear in what had to come first and what was coming second. And so again, the Holy Spirit had to wait had to bide his time for his ministry to burst forth and to be outpoured. Jesus had to die on that cross first. And then in Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 3, verse 18, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. There's the order again. The sin had to be dealt with. After that, then refreshing would come from the Lord. And we know that refreshing is the refreshing of the Holy Spirit. So Peter, right from the very beginning in Acts, sets out his stall, and he makes sure they know what comes first. They were interested when they came rushing to see these men who were filled with the Holy Spirit, the 120 men and women in the upper room. Such a noise was going on. They ran to the city. They thought they were drunk and so forth and so on. That's what they were interested in. But Peter says, first of all, you need to get saved. If you want what we have got, you've got to get saved. You've got to go to the cross. And he preached Christ to them. Having preached Christ to them, then he spoke of the Holy Spirit and the times of refreshing. In Revelation, 
chapter 5. Verse 6, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. A lamb that had been slain, obviously would be a lamb that would be covered in blood. That would be the image. That would be the picture. A lamb that had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, what does that mean? This is a strange image. A slain lamb having seven horns and seven eyes, which is the spirit of God sent out into all the earth. Does that mean there's seven holy spirits? No. Does that mean the Holy Spirit is divided up to seven parts? No. Seven is a number that is repeated again and again and again throughout the book of Revelation, right from the very beginning of the seven churches and so forth, right to the very judgments that would come, the three series of seven. So it's a number. It means totality. It means completeness. It means fullness. So this is speaking of the fullness of the Holy Spirit that would go out through all the earth, would cover the whole earth. What does the eyes stand for? The eyes stand for two things. It stands for sight and insight. Now remember, God the Holy Spirit is omniscient. That means he's all-seeing, all-knowing. That's what that means, omniscient. And he's God the Holy Spirit. So he sees everything. He sees our hearts he sees everything about us. We are naked before him. So he has sight. He can see everyone, every heart, every issue, every problem, every need, everything about our lives from beginning to end. But then he's got insight. Sight's one thing, insight's another thing. What do you mean by that? Well, sometimes we can see what our problem is but we don't know what to do about it. We, have this, we, we can see it that sight, but insight is knowing what to do about it, isn't it? And how many times in our lives, whatever the problem may be, and all of us has got problems to deal with, and we see it, but we don't know what to do about it, but the Holy Spirit does, because he can see, he's got sight, but he's also got insight. But notice here, it was a lamb, a lamb, but then it turns to the Holy Spirit too. See how there's a close connection, how the two work together, but there's a, there's a process. There's a way that this is laid out for us. In Revelation 22, right at the very end of the book of Revelation, verse 1, and he showed me pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. There's the Lamb again. Cannot get away from the Lamb. So right, Revelation 2, 
But he showed me a pure river of water of life, pure as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Do you remember the little woman at the well that Jesus spoke to? And he said, this water that you're drinking, if you drink this water, you'll thirst again. But the water that I give you, you drink this, you will never thirst again because it will be like a well in you that will spring up. What was he speaking about? The Holy Spirit. The pure river of the Holy Spirit that is in each of us. In Revelation 22, verse 1, John saw a pure crystal river that proceeded from the throne and from the Lamb. And so there is a correlation continually between these two things. In fact, in various scriptures, and we'll read a couple of them, the work of the blood and of the Spirit is so closely related at times that it's almost synonymous. You're reading about one, and suddenly you're reading about the other at the same time. Why is that? Because the two work together. The two work together. Let me show you what I'm talking about. In John chapter 6, John chapter 6. Jesus talking about himself being the bread of heaven, coming down out of heaven. In verse 51, he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give him is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. My margin says, my flesh is true bread, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, so I live because of the Father. Now, This was a difficult thing for them. In verse 60, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this saying, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained or they grumbled about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? Are you stumbled at this? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? So in other words... He said to him, listen, why are you stumbling over this? What do you think I'm really talking about here? If you think I'm really talking about this flesh body, that you're to eat this and drink my blood, literally, if that's what you think, what are you going to do when I go? What are you going to eat and drink then, if that's what you think? It's ridiculous. And so he was saying that to make it sound, this sounds ridiculous. What you're thinking is just ridiculous. That's what he's saying. Does it offend you? What if you used to see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Then he said, note this, 
It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. So he's talking about himself. And he's saying, you better feed of me. Then he says, these words that I speak to, they're spirit and they're life. If, if we, by the Holy Spirit who resides in us, if we allow the Holy Spirit, then we can come to Jesus and we can have a more intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus. We can feed of him. Like Mary, we can sit at his feet and be taught of him through the Holy Spirit. The two continually work together to our advantage. In Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And we understand exactly what that means. We were once afar off from Christ. We did not know him. In fact, many of us did not want to know him. That's how far off we were, living in our own sin, living our own lives, our own way. But... Because of the blood of Christ, because of that shed blood, and because we came to the place where we understood what that meant, and we had to receive that and accept that, then we were brought near by the blood of Christ. But drop on down to verse 18. <coughs> For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. We were brought near by the blood of Christ, but we have access to him through the Holy Spirit. Access to the Father through the Holy Spirit. So, the blood alone didn't give us access to the Father. It took the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit alone couldn't take us to the Father. It took the blood. It took the two, didn't it? It took us to be born again, and it took us to be brought by the Spirit into the presence of the Father. And so over and over and over and over again, the Scripture in Hebrews chapter 10 this time, <coughs> now you remember whenever we talked about the the Passover and Exodus, how that the, they had to kill the lamb and dip the hyssop into the lamb's blood and put it on the doorpost and lentils. But they were not allowed to put it onto the, onto the doorstep so that people couldn't trample on it. That was important. They were not allowed to do that because this was a, a holy thing, a precious thing. So, in verse 29 of Hebrews 10, of how much more punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing 
He's talking about those who have gone back from following God. Remember what I explained in Hebrews, why people were doing that because of the persecution, because it would have been easier just to slip in back to Judaism, where it was allowed at that time. Christianity was outlawed at that time. So they were coming under a lot of pressure. So it would have been just easier to slip back to the old ways. But he says, if you do that, he says, you're trampling underneath the blood of Christ when you do that. That's not a good thing to do. Don't treat the blood of Christ as a common thing. It's a sanctified thing. But notice this. How much more punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy as trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of grace. He's the Spirit of truth. He's the Spirit of intercession. He's talking about the Son of God. He's talking about the blood of Christ. And suddenly he's saying, if you do this, you're going to insult the Spirit of grace. You're going to insult the Holy Spirit by doing this. Why? Because they work closely together. One is dependent upon the other. In 2 Thessalonians, we're almost through here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. For God chose you from the beginning for salvation and then through sanctification by the Spirit. Christ provides the salvation. The Holy Spirit provides the sanctification. <laughs> the two work together. <coughs> salvation is an instantaneous thing. The very second you trust and believe Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're trusting in the shed blood of Christ to forgive you. It's an instantaneous thing. But sanctification is a lifetime. It's a process where the Holy Spirit sanctifies you. He keeps setting you apart for holy things. And that comes into your calling. It comes into your daily walk. It comes into your life as a believer every day of your life. The two work together continually. And so these two dynamic things, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the eternal Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, working together gives us all the power, all the direction, all the encouragement, all the strength that we need to live this Christian life in this world and will take us beyond this world right far into the eternity of the eternities. Can you say amen to that? And let me just close with this tonight. You don't need to look at any scriptures here. I'm just going to read you some things. I've written these down. By the blood of Christ we have. By the Spirit we have. Let's compare the two. By the blood of Christ we have forgiveness. By the Spirit we have fruit. By the blood of Christ we have grace. By the Spirit we have gifts. By the blood we have pardon. By the Spirit, we have power. By the blood, we have justification. By the Spirit, we have sanctification. 
By the blood we have been bought. By the Spirit we have been baptized. By the blood we have acceptance. By the Spirit we have assurance. By the blood we have guiltless. We are guiltless. By the Spirit we have guidance. By the blood we are Christ-loved. By the Spirit we are Christ-like. By the blood our hearts have been sprinkled. By the Spirit our hearts have been strengthened. By the blood we are saved. By the Spirit we serve. By the blood we have been protected. By the Spirit we have been prayerful. By the blood we have received. By the Spirit we have been refreshed. By the blood we have been washed. By the Spirit we worship. And I'm sure you could think of a lot more yourself if you sat down to study that. (coughs) And so tonight, beloved, we have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. And we have been filled by His Holy Spirit. And those two things will take us successfully through this life and take us all the way into eternity to the eternity of eternities. (laughs) I said this morning in closing, I'll say it again tonight, how can we lose in this life if we have got the blood and we have got the Spirit both working together for us to make us into the people that we need to be and we ought to be? We're not fully developed yet. We're not fully there yet. We may be far from it yet, but he's still working on us. Amen? And because the blood still avails, and because Christ is still there, and because the Holy Spirit is still within us, then we can develop in Christ and develop through God's Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. (coughs) Could you just stand with me just a moment, please? Lord, we are conscious of our own inadequacies, our own needs, our own lack. But yet, Lord, we look to you tonight because, Lord, you have everything we need. Your blood has provided that. Your spirit within us will give us everything we need to live this life for Jesus Christ. And so I pray for everyone here tonight. I pray that your spirit would impart to us that strength that we need for our daily living in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you that has been dealt with by the blood. And now, Lord, by your spirit, you strengthen us and you stretch us and you guide us and you guard us and you bless us and you lead us. And we thank you for all of these things So, Lord, as we leave this house tonight, as we go into our various days tomorrow, we pray that your Holy Spirit will lead, direct, and guide, and strengthen. Lord, that your wisdom would be ours. Lord, that your strength and grace would be ours. Lord, whatever we may face this week, Lord, by your Spirit and by your blood, that we shall overcome in Jesus' name. Lord, that we shall be triumphant in everything to the glory of God in Jesus' name. So, Lord, bless your church tonight. Strengthen your church, Lord, of hands and arms and knees are weary. Lord, of minds are distressed. We pray that your Holy Spirit will bless and encourage and strengthen to the glory of God in Jesus' name. Lord, for those who are struggling physically in their bodies, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you'll touch them. Lord, that you'll minister 
minister life and health and strength to them in the name of Jesus. Lord, that you will bring your healing presence into their lives. Lord, even when they're at their home, Lord, sitting on their settee or driving their car, Lord, that your healing presence will flow into their bodies from the crown of their head to the soles of their feet. And Lord, that you will rid them of every sickness and disease and everything, Lord, that ails them tonight in the name of Jesus. So Lord, we look to you. We look to your Holy Spirit to do his gracious work on every one of our hearts to the glory of God. And we give you thanks for the blood. And we give you thanks for the Son of God tonight and all that that means to us in Jesus' name. We bless you for your Holy Spirit in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.